friends, welcome to Ends in Sensibility, the Jane Austen podcast for everyone who loves bold, witty women, awkward, handsome men, and dragons. I'm your host, Casey Meserve. Together, we're exploring Jane Austen's novels one chapter at a time, doing close readings, looking at sources, talking about Jane's life and influences, and new remixes of these classic novels, especially those with a fantasy or sci-fi flair. I hope you enjoy the ride. Before we begin today's chapter discussion, I want to mention that Virtual JaneCon is coming fast. Now, Virtual JaneCon is the online, free, radically inclusive convention coming July 15th and 16th, 2023. It will feature events, talks, and projects by some of the biggest Jane and Regency fans on social media, including some of this podcast's previous guests, such as Amanda Ray Prescott and the production team from YouTube's hit Austin show, Rational Creatures, as well as many more that I can't announce yet. But it's going to be an amazing two days of presenters, talks, and workshops. And did I mention it's free? You can learn more information at virtualjanecon.com. You can sign up for the newsletter and jump into the fun. Now that we have our business out of the way, let's get to today's reading, chapter 15 of Sense and Sensibility. And there is a lot of reading in this one. At the end of chapter 14, Willoughby was absolutely delighted in the Dashwoods' cottage, making Mrs. D promise him never to change a single shingle of the house. Which she did, of course promise. And then she invited him to dinner the next day after her morning visit to Barton Park. Chapter 15 opens with Mrs. Dashwood, Eleanor, and Margaret arriving home for visiting Barton Park to the site of Willoughby's carriage. Early for dinner, but not unexpected, Marian has stayed home after all, and Mrs. D concluded that Willoughby had promised to visit Marianne while her family was away and was perfectly satisfied with her remaining home. They found Willoughby's curacle and servant waiting at the cottage, and Mrs. Dashwood was convinced that her conjecture had been just. So far, it was all as she had foreseen, but on entering the house, she beheld what no foresight had taught her to expect. They were no sooner in the passage than Marianne came hastily out of the parlor, apparently in violent affliction, with her handkerchief at her eyes, and without noticing them, ran up the stairs. Surprised and alarmed, they proceeded directly into the room she had just quitted, where they found only Willoughby, who was leaning against the mantelpiece with his back towards them. He turned around on their coming in, and his countenance showed that he strongly partook of the emotion which overpowered Marianne. "'Well, that's unexpected.' Mrs. D. fully expects Willoughby to be there with Marianne, but to see them both crying?' "'What just happened?' "'Is there anything the matter with her?' cried Mrs. Dashwood as she entered. "'Is she ill?' "'I hope not,' he replied, trying to look cheerful, and with a forced smile presently added, "'It is I who may rather expect to be ill, for I am now suffering under a very heavy disappointment.' "'Disappointment?' Yes, for I am unable to keep my engagement with you. Mrs. Smith had this morning exercised the privilege of riches upon a poor dependent cousin by sending me on business to London. I have just received my dispatches and taken my farewell of Allenham, and by way of exhilaration I am now come to take my farewell of you. 
to London, and you're going this morning? Almost this moment. This is very unfortunate, but Mrs. Smith must be obliged, and her business will not detain you from us long, I hope. He colored her as he replied, You're very kind, but I have no idea of returning into Devonshire immediately. My visits to Mrs. Smith are never repeated within the twelfth month. And is Mrs. Smith your only friend? Is Allenham the only house in the neighborhood to which you will be welcome? For shame, Willoughby, can you wait for an invitation here? His color increased, and with his eyes fixed on the ground, he only replied, You are too good. Mrs. Dashwood looked at Eleanor with surprise. Eleanor felt equal amazement. For a few minutes, everyone was silent. Mrs. Dashwood first spoke. I have only to add, my dear Willoughby, that at Barton Cottage you will always be welcome, for I will not press you to return here immediately, because you only can judge how far that might be pleasing to Mrs. Smith. And on this head I shall be no more disposed to question your judgment than to doubt your inclination. My engagements at present, replied Willoughby confused, are of such a nature that— I dare not flatter myself. He stopped. Mrs. Dashwood was too much astonished to speak, and another pause succeeded. This was broken by Willoughby, who said with a faint smile, It is folly to linger in this manner. I will not torment myself any longer by remaining among friends, whose society it is impossible for me now to enjoy. He then hastily took leave of them all and left the room. They saw him step into his carriage and in a moment it was out of sight. Mrs. Dashwood felt too much for speech, and instantly quitted the parlour to give way in solitude to the concern and alarm which the sudden departure occasioned. Wow! Okay, let's start at the beginning of this reading. Mrs. D. immediately thinks that there's something wrong with Marianne. She must be ill to act like that, with Willoughby in the house. But she's not. Or at least Willoughby hopes she's not, but then he immediately refocuses their attention away from Marianne and on to himself. I am now suffering under a very heavy disappointment. Willoughby is all about himself. Just like last night, he is getting all the Dashwoods to focus on himself and his distress rather than Marianne's. He is more worried about leaving Devonshire than about Marianne's reactions to him leaving Devonshire. London, of course, is quite a distance from Devonshire. In episode 13, Colonel Brandon had to rush to London to take care of a, quote, non-emergency. That was definitely an emergency. And we guessed it was about 170 miles or 280 kilometers from Exeter to London. It would take Brandon about 26 hours to get there if he made the noontime postcoach at Honiton. And I am very grateful to Ann Glover of RedDrum.com for this information. For all of her work on the carriage roads and post routes through Regency England, it is an amazing piece of research that we will talk about in an episode very soon. But Willoughby is saying that he also has to leave immediately to go to London for Mrs. Smith, but that he's not planning to come back. Of course, neither was Brandon, but the only people who would miss Brandon were Sir John and his mother-in-law. So Willoughby's and Marianne's reactions aren't surprising for either of them. He says he only visits Mrs. Smith once a year, 
which means he and Marianne won't see each other unless something extraordinary happens. But he never even mentions Marianne's obvious distress. Of course, Mrs. Dashwood's response is a little bit more moderate than Marianne's. She's very surprised, but tries very hard to maintain her polite demeanor. She invites him to stay with them. Now, this isn't too unusual at the time, despite Marianne and Willoughby not being publicly engaged. But Willoughby here is oddly silent. Now, it could be because he's hesitant to accept because Mrs. Smith, who holds his future fortune, could think Willoughby is rude to stay with another family so close to her house. Or it could be something else. Willoughby's silence is so loud here. After expressing his love for Barton Cottage and the Dashwoods the day before, compare what he says and how he acts here with what he said and how he acted the night before. Something more has happened that Willoughby isn't sharing. But what could that be? Then Mrs. D again very politely says that he is always welcome at Barton Cottage and she won't push him to return quickly because he's beholden to Mrs. Smith as her heir. She could easily take away his future income, changing her will and leave her home and wealth to some other relative. Mrs. D knows this. It literally just happened to her and her daughters. And Willoughby tries to refuse politely, but he can't get the words out. This is the guy who was gushing the night before, and now he can't speak a full sentence. And then he just leaves. Mrs. Dashwood is too emotional to speak, and she leaves the parlor, and Eleanor, on the other hand, lets her anxiety run free. Now let's get back to the test and see how Eleanor reacts to Willoughby's departure. Eleanor's uneasiness was at least equal to her mother's. She thought of what had just passed with anxiety and distrust. Willoughby's behavior in taking leave of them, his embarrassment, an affectation of cheerfulness, and above all, his unwillingness to accept her mother's invitation. A backwardness so unlike a lover, so unlike himself, greatly disturbed her. One moment she feared that no serious design had ever been formed on his side, and the next that some unfortunate quarrel had taken place between him and her sister. The distress in which Marianne had quitted the room was such as a serious quarrel could most reasonably account for it. Though, when she considered what Marianne's love for him was, a quarrel seemed almost impossible. But whatever might be the particulars in their separation, her sister's affliction was indubitable. And she thought with the tenderness compassion of that violent sorrow which Marianne was in all probability not merely giving way to as a relief, but feeding and encouraging as a duty. Mrs. D leaves the room, Margaret is who knows where, and Eleanor is left in the parlor to think with anxiety and distrust. And this girl's thoughts start spinning. Willoughby's behavior, his embarrassment, his silence, his attempts to deflect their attention away from Marianne and on to himself, and his unwillingness to accept Mrs. D's invitation is so unlike Willoughby that it really bothers Eleanor. We talked for a few episodes about how Eleanor is unsure 
how attached Willoughby is to her sister. And now he's not acting like a lover, and that's what bothers her the most. She doubted the seriousness of their relationship because they hadn't announced an engagement. But then she thinks about Marianne running out of the room crying and thinks that maybe they argued. But knowing the two of them and how agreeable they are with whatever the other says, that seems impossible. And she feels pity and compassion for Marianne, who is obviously distraught. By Ironically, she also realizes that Marianne feels she has to feed into her feelings and encourage them as her duty to sensibility, which was how Marianne and Mrs. D acted after Mr. D died. Now let's see what Mrs. D thinks. In about half an hour, her mother returned, and though her eyes were red, her countenance was not uncheerful. Our dear Willoughby is now some miles from Barton, Eleanor, she said, as she sat down to work, and with how heavy a heart does he travel. It is all very strange, so sudden to be gone. It seems but the work of a moment. And last night he was with us so happy, so cheerful, so affectionate. And now, after only ten minutes' notice, gone too without intending to return. Something more than what he owned to us must have happened. He did not speak. He did not behave like himself. You must have seen the difference as well as I. What can it be? Can they have quarreled? What else should he have shown such unwillingness to accept your invitation here? It was not inclination that he wanted, Eleanor. I could plainly see that. He had not the power of accepting it. I have thought it all over, I assure you, and I can perfectly account for everything that at first seemed strange to me as well as to you. Can you indeed? Yes, I have explained it to myself in the most satisfactory way. But you, Eleanor, who love to doubt where you can, it will not satisfy you. I know, but you shall not talk me out of my trust in it. I am persuaded that Mrs. Smith suspects his regard for Marianne, disapproves of it, perhaps because she has other views for him, and on that account is eager to get him away, and that the business which she sends him to off to transact is invented as an excuse to dismiss him. This is what I believe to have happened. He is, moreover, aware that she does disapprove the connection. He dares not, therefore, at present confess it to, to her his engagement with Marianne, and he feels himself obliged from his dependent situation to give in to her schemes and absent himself from Devonshire for a while. You will tell me, I know, that this may or may not have happened, but I will listen to no cavil unless you can point out any other method of understanding the affair as satisfactory as this. And now, Eleanor, what have you to say? Nothing, for you have anticipated my answer. Mrs. D voices some of the same concerns Eleanor has, which shows, by the way, that Mrs. D is more sensible than Eleanor may sometimes think, or maybe Eleanor isn't as sensible as she thinks she is. But anyways, Mrs. D gets through all her initial thoughts and insists that Willoughby didn't actually want to leave them. Then she presents her own theory. She believes that Mrs. Smith forced Willoughby to leave after learning of his relationship with Marianne. Mrs. Smith has never met Marianne, but she's heard about the Dashwoods and their comparative poverty, and she refuses to let Willoughby continue a relationship 
with a girl who has no dowry. That's what Mrs. D believes anyway. She thinks that the old lady has ideas for Willoughby's marriage, and rich people had plans for their heirs, ambitions and goals, exactly like Edwards Ferris's mother had for her son, to drive a barouche and stand for Parliament. Mrs. D believes Mrs. Smith invented these errands as a way to force Willoughby away from Marianne, and Mrs. D will not listen to any objections on Eleanor's side. And then she asks what Eleanor thinks. So, <laughs> that's hilarious. Eleanor doesn't seem to believe this. Her focus during her musings was on the couple and not outside influences. But she won't argue with her mother because, one, she doesn't have an answer to it, and two, her mother anticipated any argument, so Eleanor won't give her one because Mrs. D refuses to hear arguments. But Mrs. D thinks she knows what Eleanor would say, and we go right back to the next paragraph. Then you would have told me that it might or might not have happened. Oh, Eleanor, how incomprehensible are your feelings. You had rather take evil upon credit than good. You had rather look out for misery for Marianne and guilt for poor Willoughby than an apology for the latter. You are resolved to think him blamable because he took leave of us with less affection than his usual behavior has shown. And is no allowance to be made for inadvertence, for spirits depressed by recent disappointments? Are no probabilities to be accepted merely because they are not certainties? Is nothing due to the man whom we all have such reason to love, and no reason in the world to think ill of? to the possibility of motives unanswerable in themselves, though unavoidably secret for a while? And after all, what is it you suspect him of? I can hardly tell myself, but suspicion of something unpleasant is the inevitable consequence of such an alteration as we have just witnessed in him. There is great truth, however, in what you have now urged of the allowance which ought to be made for him, and it is my wish to be candid in my judgment of everybody. Willoughby may undoubtedly have very sufficient reasons for his conduct, and I will hope that he has, but it would have been more like Willoughby to acknowledge them at once. Secrecy may be advisable, but still I cannot help wondering at it being practiced by him." Do not blame him, however, for departing from his character where the deviation is necessary, but you really do admit the justice of what I have said in his defense. I am happy, and he is acquitted. Not entirely. It may be proper to conceal their engagement, if they are engaged, from Mrs. Smith. But if that is the case, it must be highly expedient for Willoughby to be but little in Devonshire at present. But this is no excuse for their concealing it from us. "'Concealing it from us, my dear child, do you accuse Willoughby and Marianne of concealment? This is strange indeed, when your eyes have been reproaching them every day for incautiousness. I want no proof of their affection,' said Eleanor, "'but of their engagement I do. I am perfectly satisfied of both. Yet not a syllable has been said to you on the subject by either of them.' I have not wanted syllables where actions have spoken so plainly. Has not his behavior to Marianne, and to all of us, for at least the last fortnight, declared that he loved and considered her as his future wife, 
and that he felt for us the attachment of the nearest relation? Have we not perfectly understood each other? Has not my consent been daily asked by his looks, his manner, his attentive and affectionate respect? My Eleanor, is it possible to doubt their engagement? How could such a thought occur to you? How is it to be supposed that Willoughby, persuaded as he must be of your sister's love, should leave her, and leave her perhaps for months, without telling her of his affections, that they should part without a mutual exchange of confidence? I confess, replied Eleanor, that every circumstance except one is in favor of their engagement, but that one is the total silence of both on the subject, and with me it almost outweighs every other. How strange this is! You must think wretchedly indeed of Willoughby, if, after all has openly passed between them, you can doubt the nature of the terms on which they are together. Has he been acting a part in his behavior to your sister all this time? Do you suppose him really indifferent to her? No, I cannot think that. He must and does love her, I am sure. But with a strange kind of tenderness, if he leaves her, with such indifference, such carelessness of the future, as you attribute him. You must remember, my dear mother, that I have never considered this matter as certain. I have had my doubts, I confess, but they are fainter than they were, and they may soon be entirely done away with. If we discover they correspond, every fear of mine will be removed. A mighty concession, indeed. If you were to see them at the altar, you would suppose they were going to be married. Ungracious girl! But I require no such proof. Nothing, in my opinion, has ever passed to justify doubt. No secrecy has been attempted. All has been uniformly open and unreserved. You cannot doubt your sister's wishes. It must be Willoughby, therefore, whom you suspect. But why? Is he not a man of honor and feeling? Has there been any inconsistency on his side to create alarm? Can he be deceitful? I hope not. I believe not, cried Eleanor. I love Willoughby, sincerely love him, and suspicion of his integrity cannot be more painful to yourself than to me. It has been involuntary, and I will not encourage it. I was startled, I must confess, by the alteration in his manners this morning. He did not speak like himself, and did not return your kindness with any cordiality. But all this may be explained by such a situation of his affairs as you have supposed. He has just parted from my sister, has seen her leave him in the greatest affliction, and if he felt obliged, from fear of offending Mrs. Smith, to resist the temptation of returning here soon, and yet aware that, by declining your invitation, by saying that he was going away for some time, he should seem to act an ungenerous, a suspicious part by our family, he may well be embarrassed and disturbed. In such a case, a plain and open avowal of his difficulties would have been more to his honor, I think, as well as more consistent with his general character." but I will not raise objections against any one's conduct on so illiberal a foundation as a difference in judgment for myself or a deviation from what I think right and consistent. You speak very properly. Willoughby certainly does not deserve to be suspected. Though we have not known him long, he is no stranger in this part of the world, and who has ever spoken to his disadvantage, 
Had he been in a situation to act independently and marry immediately, it may have been odd that he should leave without acknowledging everything to me at once. But this is not the case. It is an engagement in some respects not, not prosperously begun, for their marriage may be at a very uncertain distance, and even secrecy, as far as it can be observed, may now be very advisable. Whew. Thank you for sticking with me through that. I felt like that entire argument needed to be discussed and dissected as one chunk rather than in small bits. It is such an interesting argument, these two two sides of the debate. One is very logical. That's Eleanor's. She is, she's a very logical person. She is looking for the facts of the case and she's not seeing them. And her mother, Mrs. D, is very passionate. She argues, she argues with passion and maybe she's got some logical fallacies in there. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. That'd be an interesting paper. Let's explain this. Ar no, it's too long. Let's sum up this argument. Mrs. D says Eleanor suspects Willoughby of some wrongdoing because of his attitude this morning and the fact that he and Marianne have never announced an engagement. Mrs. D says, of course he was downcast. He was leaving his love and not sure when he'll be able to return without annoying his patroness. And as far as Mrs. D is concerned, they are definitely engaged and she doesn't need words. She doesn't even need to voice her approval. It is all in the actions to her. Eleanor says that if she learns that Marion and Welby are writing to each other, then her fears will be allayed. But Mrs. D throws this back, saying Eleanor would only believe they were engaged when she saw them at the altar. It was, by the way, very improper for unengaged young people to write to each other. Eleanor finally gets to voice all those doubts she's had for a couple of chapters and thought of while she sat alone with Margaret. But Mrs. D is a little unkind to her. She dismisses all of Eleanor's fears and concerns and says Willoughby cares deeply for Marianne. They are definitely engaged, and Willoughby hasn't done anything to cause Eleanor to suspect him. Mrs. D's reasoning is good to a certain extent. She's seen the two kids together. I mean, Willoughby is 25, so he's hardly a kid. But Marianne is... She approves of Willoughby. He's got great prospects of the heir to the local manor. She understands that Willoughby can't afford to irk Mrs. Smith by flaunting his relationship to Marianne, and whose family history is definitely known to Mrs. Smith. If Willoughby was independent, leaving suddenly would be suspicious, but he's not. So suddenly Margaret comes into the room, and this little tete-tete -tet is broken up. Eleanor was then at liberty to think over the representations of her mother, to acknowledge the probability of many, and hope for the justice of all. They saw nothing of Marianne till dinner time, when she entered the room and took her place at the table without saying a word. Her eyes were red and swollen, and it seemed as if her tears were even then restrained with difficulty. She avoided the looks of them all, and could neither eat nor speak, and after some time, on her mother silently pressing her hand with tender compassion, her small degree of fortitude was quite overcome, and she burst into tears and left the room. 
The violent depression of spirits continued the whole evening. She was without any power, because she was without any desire of command over herself. The slightest mention of anything relative to Willoughby overpowered her in an instant, and though her family were most anxiously attentive to her comfort, it was impossible for them, if they spoke at all, to keep clear of every subject which her feelings connected with him. Ah, oh, poor Marianne. How can you not empathize with her? She's a wreck. Her eyes are all red and puffy. Her face is probably red. She can't eat. She can't speak. And her mother is just watching her, holding her hand and silently sympathizing with her, which might make it worse. And the narrator says she can't control herself because she doesn't want to control herself. Recall that this was exactly how Marianne and Mrs. D acted for six months after Mr. Dashwood died. And for the rest of the night, Marianne's behavior makes the rest of the family miserable because they can't talk about anything that might remind Marianne of Willoughby. And of course, everything is going to remind her of Willoughby. So it sounds like this was a pretty miserable night for everyone until it was time to go to bed. Well, here we are at the end of another chapter and another episode. Thank you for listening to Ensign Sensibility. Today's episode was written and edited by me, Casey Meserve. You can listen to all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those really help other people find the podcast. And if you really enjoy the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash entsandsensibility or by clicking on the link in the episode description. You can write to me at entsandsensibility at gmail.com and follow Ents and Sensibility on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. If you'd like to purchase any of the books mentioned on the show, check out the bookshelf page on entsandsensibility.com. We also have show notes on every show and so much more. Have a lovely day, and I hope you'll listen again soon.